So it's great to have uh, our singers with us today, the Savio singers. That after the patronage of Saint Dominic Savio, a young boy under the basically the apprentice of Saint John Bosco, and uh, it's beautiful to have so many young voices singing and have their families present with us today. So thank you, thank you, kids, and thank you, uh, Dominic Gettle, for being here with us. Yesterday, as I was getting, I had a homily prepared, and as I was getting ready. I was coming from my chair over to the Ambo, and I just felt overwhelmingly that the Lord wanted me to change the entire homily, which is awful. You know, like, if you have something prepared, and all of a sudden he's like, no, I want this. And so you just kind of got to go and say, yeah, I'll trust. And what he wanted me to speak on is in this first Sunday of Lent, we are given in all of the readings the reality of the devil. That this is a real creature. This is not some fictitious, made-up myth from way back when to try to get the Catholic Church to be able to control people through fear. That the devil is real. And that in fact, he is called throughout the history of humanity the enemy of human nature. And what he desires more than anything is to drive a wedge and separate you from God and from your friends, family, and one another. That's all he wants. He wants you to be utterly alone. And why is that? You've heard that age-old adage, right? Misery loves company. Because he's miserable. Because he is alone. And so he wants you alone. He has lost the greatest gift ever given to all of creation. And he wants you to lose the greatest gift, which is the redemption wrought in Christ. I cannot stress enough my dear people, the fact that he is real. I have seen him. I was involved in an exorcism several years back. It was one of the most horrific encounters I've ever experienced in my life. And for the record, just so everybody doesn't start asking or start spreading rumors, I am not the exorcist of the diocese. Okay, I just want to make that very clear. I am not the exorcist. Several saints have said that the greatest trick that the devil played on humanity was to get, the, get all of us to believe he doesn't exist. He is real. When I was involved in this exorcism, I always tell this to young people, and for the record, I cannot figure out why young people are so infatuated with the devil and with evil. You know what young people always ask me when I taught at the high school, when I taught at the university, when I teach at confirmation? It's always this, hey, Father, if I do this, is this a sin? Hey, Father, if, like, if I just go this far, is it a sin? They're always trying to figure out to what level they can push the envelope before they go to hell. <laughs> Which is a terrible way to live. I'm dying for the day when a kid comes up to me and be like, Father, I did this, this, and this. Was it a virtue? Was it virtuous enough? But they don't ask that. And they're fascinated with the devil. 
Which again, I can't figure out. The devil is essentially boring. He's boring. God is the exciting one. The devil is just the same old, same old. Rehashed in a thousand different ways. The other reason maybe I think that they, they are infatuated with evil, many people are, they want to hear stories about it, they want to be scared, is I think partially probably due to Hollywood. Hollywood has painted a picture of evil being fun, exciting, the next big pop, scare, right? That's why people go to scary movies, to be freaked out. It's an adrenaline rush. And again, for the life of me, I cannot figure out why people go to these movies. Why do we sit and be... We pay money to be entertained by evil. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. If you look, more and more and more of the TV shows that are coming out, they're all demonic. They all have the devil at the base of them. As if, like, evil was this cosmic, all-powerful source. It's not. The devil is essentially weak. When placed in opposition to Christ. But you go at him alone? You take on him alone? As St. Ignatius of Loyola said, If a person loses heart in suffering and temptation and gives in to the desires of Satan, there is no beast more ferocious on the face of the earth as the devil in following out his murderous intentions on the human soul with intense anger and malice. With Christ, he's weak. Without Christ, there is no more ferocious beast on the, in, the, in the world, on the planet. And I saw this when I was called to do this exorcism. I was called into a room, and there was a woman sitting there. She was maybe, at most, 110 pounds. She was in her late 60s, to try to give you an image of this woman. Part of the reason she had been doing these exorcisms is because of possession, because what had happened when she was a young woman, she got pregnant, and her boyfriend forced her to have an abortion, and then she just couldn't live with herself and gave herself over to evil because she believed she was so wicked that God could never love her. In this hour and a half session, there were five grown men, bigger than me, and I'm strong, I used to be. <laughs> it took five of us to hold this woman down to the ground. I watched her grab a man by the shirt, the chest, and throw him across the room. A grown man, this woman of 110 pounds in her late 50s. I have never seen strength like that in my life before, and I will never see it again, I'm sure. I heard different languages that I've never heard before. Growling. I heard languages, sometimes, or voices, sometimes two or three at the same time coming out of one person's mouth. And people always say to me, man, I wish I could witness that. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's not fun. The number one emotion I felt during that hour and a half was despair. Pity for this poor woman. 
who had been bound by the devil for decades. For decades. Several times I was brought to tears. I wasn't freaked out. I wasn't scared. I was despairing. You've got to remember who the devil is. Again, he's not this cosmic, all-powerful force of evil. He is complete despair. Privation. He's the loss of love. The fullness of hatred. He lacks almost all good. And if you have ever been, if you've ever been in a state or a position of despair or loneliness, you don't ever want to go back there. Imagine that. Imagine what his, his existence is like. I remember there was a, I was reading a story from Father Gabriel Lamorth. He was the head exorcist of Rome. He performed over 60,000 exorcisms. And he said that one time during the exorcism, because they're always trying to learn more about the demonic, how they work, how they tempt, all of that. And he said he was talking to the demon and he said, imagine two people and they hate each other for all eternity or for all their whole lives. And they damage each other's property and they gossip about one another and they, at the limit if they could, they would kill one another. And they both die. Well, they spend hell together for eternity. And the demon answered back. He said, oh, priest, how stupid you are. You don't understand hell at all. Down here, everyone lives caved in on themselves, torn apart by their regrets. And all they remember is the hurt they have caused. There is no relationship with anyone. You are alone. Hell is like a cemetery. Now, I want you to fathom this just for one moment, my dear people. Because when we think of hell, we think of people burning and running around and being poked by demons with pitchforks and fire everywhere. And everybody's like, this is terrible. And they're like, yeah, this is terrible. That would be at least doable. Imagine being alone forever. No relationship with anyone. And the only thing you can remember for all eternity is all the pain that you caused. And that you are responsible for yourself being in hell. Why? Because you made this life about you. Christ came to show us that this life is not about us. But if you sit your whole life and you say, it's about me, 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 at the end of your life, the Lord's going to say, come to me. And you're going to say, it's about me. And that's what it will be for the rest of your life. It will be about you. And only you. We will be saved or damned based on what we love most. And that's a scary thing to think about. I remember one time I asked my students, I was like, what do you love most? Kids said, video games. And I said, you will have that for all eternity. 
unless you learn to love Jesus. And he's like, I would love playing video games for all eternity. I'm like, really? Same game? All by yourself? No headsets? Just you. And he looked at me and he's like, that would be awful. I'm like, exactly. In the first reading, Adam and Eve, they are given one temptation. And that temptation is given to all of us. Don't trust God. And for the record, the story of Adam and Eve is not... I think this is, if you ask most people, the commoner who's, you know, a, a Sunday-going Catholic, tell me about the story of Adam and Eve. They'd say, you know, a couple naked people, uh, they have a garden, and there's an apple and a snake, and then all hell breaks loose. That would be like a, that would be a good answer. But it'd be way off. What is the fruit of the, of the knowledge of good and evil? It's the choice you get to decide for yourself what's right and wrong. God said, look, you can have everything, all of this, it's all yours, except for one thing. Don't decide for yourself what's right and wrong. I'll take care of that. I'll tell you what's right and wrong. And when Eve reaches out and grabs the fruit, that is her making the choice. It's not her eating an apple. It's her making the choice to decide for herself what's right and wrong. God, I know you tell us what's right and wrong, but I know better. I don't trust that you have my best will in mind. And every sin after that is the same thing packaged in a thousand different ways. Don't trust. Don't trust. Don't trust. And so if I can't trust God, what do I go after? Power, wealth, pleasure, honor, prestige. Any person I've seen that goes after those, that makes them the God of their life, falls apart. And any person I've ever seen that makes the things of God the center of their life only brings life to their family, their friends, and everybody around them. It's all about trust. That's why Jesus goes into the desert today. To show us how to fight temptation. Make these stones into bread. Eat! Maybe the greatest euphemism ever, or the greatest understatement ever in the Bible. Jesus fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights, and after which, he was hungry. He was ravenous. He was starving. The devil says, eat! And he says, no, because you don't live on bread alone. You don't live on pleasure. You live on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Honor! Throw yourself off the temple. No, I don't need to. My Father loves me. Bow down before me and I give you the kingdoms of the world. I would rather be obedient to my Father than rule in this world. Trust, trust, trust. Will we listen to Him? Think of the agony in the garden. I don't want to do this, but I trust you, Father. Think about the crucifixion. Father, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet He still hangs there in obedience. He's trying to undo the disobedience that we've done. And so in this Lenten season, this first week of Lent, I think we are called to two things. Number one, to realize there is an enemy who hates us. And he is actively working to destroy us. And second, to fall deeper in love with our God so that we can trust him. 
If your disciplines for Lent are not leading you to greater trust and love, you're doing something wrong. They should cause us to want to go all in, to give more, to love more, to trust more. And the more, the more is it's right there. That's the more. That's what we want. And that's what Lent is about. Is getting back to following His example and not getting our way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can either follow Him or we can follow ourselves. One leads to life, one leads to death. It's your choice.